Carl's asked me to bring you a message on finances from a biblical point, uh, viewpoint. Um, I'm not an expert Bible scholar, nor am I an expert on economics. But I've been a Christian all my life, and like each of us here today, we've had a lot of life experiences, both good and bad. And these experiences, and from these experiences, and from a lot of excellent Bible teaching, I bring you this message. So I've got a reading for you this morning from 1 Timothy 6.10. Pretty short one here. You've all heard it before. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I would say that this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Um, I hear so many people say, money's the root of all evil. And that is a total misquote. There's a big difference between the love of money versus money as an object. If God had said the money, that money was the root of all evil, we as Christians <coughs> would be taught throughout the scriptures to shy away from money in any form. And yet, throughout the scriptures, we see where money or wealth has played a big part in many circumstances. If we read in Luke uh, chapter 18, verse 18, about the rich young ruler, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You should not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these things I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now Jesus knew that this young guy was a godly man. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. He didn't lie. He honored his parents. But Jesus could see into this man's life. He could see that his wealth had become a stumbling block to his Christian walk. It meant so much to him that he put it before following Jesus. At another time, the disciples were investigated by the IRD regarding the temple tax and whether or not the tax had been paid. Now, Jesus didn't curse the IRD. He didn't call down fire from heaven, although I suspect a few people would like to. What did he do? He said in Matthew 17, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the, first, take the fish that comes up first, and when you've opened his mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. See, Jesus didn't despise the tax. He knew that they needed money for the upkeep of the temple. And also, again, in Luke, Jesus was observing people putting money in the, in the collection box, and the rich guys pouring their bags of money into the box, and then along comes a poor widow. Luke 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty 
put all in all she had to live on. She gave everything there. And the widow woman was commended because she gave out, gave out of her very limited supply. Another example of where money features in the Bible is in Second Chronicles 1. We read that Solomon asked God for wisdom to rule his people Israel. And God said to him, because you haven't asked for riches, because you haven't asked for wealth, honor, death to your enemies or a long life, God gave him what he asked for, plus. He says, wisdom and knowledge is granted you, I'll give you what you asked for. And I will give you riches and wealth, honor, such as none of the kings that have had before you, neither shall there any after you have the like. God said to him, I'm going to make you the richest man that ever lived. So, if wealth was that evil, God would not have given it to Solomon as a bonus. So you see from these passages that it's not about the money itself, but it's about the intent of those involved. From the widow woman giving everything she had to the wealthy people chucking in from the excess there. Money in itself is not evil, but the love of it definitely is. We're told in the scriptures to bring our tithes into the storehouse to fund God's work through the ministries. God doesn't need the money. Everything we have, every talent, every gift, every ability, all our possessions, our children, the very air we breathe is from God. Psalm 50 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and all its fullness is mine. God owns the lot. What, he doesn't need money. He needs an obedient heart so he can move us to use what has been entrusted to us in the way he wants us to. A principle that means a, a lot to me and has for a long time is the principle of sowing and reaping. Basically, you reap what you sow. Whether you're a Bible believer or not, the principles of the scriptures hold true. doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. You reap what you sow. Even unbelievers agree with this. You know, I run into it all the time at work. People say, oh, well, they reap what they sow, you know, and every, nobody disputes it. It's a fact. Second Corinthians 9 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whosoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of, us, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You reap what you sow. I see money as a tool. We are each entrusted with what God gives us. To use it wisely and in accordance with his will. Not to squander and to be reckless. As with all parts of our lives, 
we are to seek God's will in every aspect of our lives. God has given us our own free will. He's given us a brain to make decisions. We're not robots. God trusts us to keep in touch with him. I remember a solo parent I was talking to many years ago had two small children and needed a car and said, I've really been praying that God would give me a car, but I still haven't got one. And I said, what are you doing about it? What do you mean? I said, are you saving? Are you putting aside money for a car? No, I'm just praying for one. A few months later, I was told, you know, I think God has a sense of humor. I had become saving and uh, become, began to save and do craft work, selling it at the flea market, growing plants, selling them. And here about four months later, we have our car. God was going to give them a car, but they had to do their part as well. One of the talents God had given them was their ability to make things, and it was put to good use to provide for their children. I've got a reading in Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We could probably spend the rest of the year studying this passage of scriptures, but we'll just take a few points this morning. This was Jesus giving us a parable, which is a simple story to illustrate a spiritual lesson. Jesus was giving us instruction on what he expects from us as his people. All we have is from God, and he's entrusted it to us in his absence. Well, we know he's here, but when he's been back in the glory. You'll note that each servant was not given the same amount. The master had assessed each of their abilities and decided how, to, how much to entrust each one, based on that assessment. Our reading in Matthew 25 that we just read there, while talking about money is not limited to money, our talents can stretch from our ability to sing, 
to our friendliness, from our helpfulness to prayers of intercession, God has entrusted us with talents that are specifically suited to our ability and calling in Him. We're not all the same. We have different abilities and callings on our lives. We'd all like more money. But having a lot of money does not bring happiness or contentment. I know people who are very well off who spend their whole time worrying that they're going to lose what they've got. And that's the fact. Each of us have been entrusted with as much as we can handle. God has assisted, uh, has assessed our abilities and given it to us on that basis. Now that doesn't mean that we should be just fatalistic. Sit down. I'm poor. God's obviously called me to be poor, so I might as well get on with it. You'll note that the first two servants were given money and went out and traded and increased the money and were complimented for it. Servant two could have said, I didn't get as much as the other guy. That's not fair. He just got on and increased what had been entrusted to him. In my life as a Christian, I've noticed that while I sincerely believe in miracles, God tends to use natural means to fulfill his will in our lives. If God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the whole creation, then he could just create a pile of money to be on the end of our bed in the morning, couldn't he? But he doesn't tend to do that. He uses, tends to use natural means. God will not give us more than we can handle. I've had people tell me they can't understand why God allowed a particular financial disaster to happen to them when they've been serving him. I've looked at what's taken place and realised they're blaming God for a really stupid decision that they'd made. Because in Proverbs it says, where there's no counsel, the people fall. See, God's established us in a church where there's a huge amount of experience and wisdom. We're not expected to know everything. It's pointless to ask me about music. I like music, but it's not one of my talents. Maybe one I haven't discovered yet. (laughs) Ask me about real estate, and I'm your man. I don't know everything about it. I ask when I'm out of my depth, and that's what God is telling us to do. Where you need advice, ask for help. What God has entrusted to us is not entirely for ourselves. Servants 1 and 2 invested what they'd been given and received a return on the money. They obviously thought about it. They took counsel. They read the markets. They took a risk based on the facts and gained a good return for their master. Servant number 3 took the easy way out. I won't make an effort. I won't work. I won't take a risk, but I won't lose the money either. And look how it turned out for him. God has not given us gifts to just sit on them, admire them, or use them for ourselves. Our Heavenly Father expects a return on them. I'm not just talking about money, on every gift that God has given us. When you think about it, every farmer is aware that part of each year's income must be reinvested in the future. They receive an income, some of that they live on, They enjoy it. Part they reinvest in seed, livestock, or whatever they get involved in so that they get a return next year. And God expects us to reinvest in the future of his church, sowing and reaping. I believe we're called to tithe into God's kingdom. I've tithed as far back as I can remember. 
I don't believe anyone's ever asked me to tithe. I've just seen it in the scriptures. I believe it and do it. Malachi 3.10 Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. This is one place in the scriptures where God says, give it a go. Have a go. When one of our sons, not George, when one of our sons was getting serious with his girlfriend, I said to him he should talk to her about his non-negotiables. We always talk about those, such as his Christian walk, attending church, tithing, etc. And she wasn't a Christian, but she was an anti. She's a Christian now. And she was happy with everything except tithing. She just heard all the bad press and just said, oh, I don't like this sort of thing. But after, she struggled with it for a while, but then after a while she said, I'll give it a go for one year. And that is completely scriptural. You know, the Bible says, try me and test me in this. Have a go. They married, they tithe, and God has blessed them beyond anything they've ever expected. And I believe that's just God honoring his word. And testimony that we have is a few years ago, we were building a house and we were on a fairly tight budget and that started and then the um, piles were in, the floor was down and they were about to start framing up. And overnight there was a change in government policy and the bulk of our mortgage went from about 12% to 22%. And um, that meant about 160 a week. I know it doesn't sound a hang of a lot these days, but it was it, it just about wiped us out. Um, I didn't say anything to Mark at the time. I told him once we got over it. Um, <laughs> I, I literally, I was considering going to the bank and just say, sorry, it's all yours, see you around. I can't, we can't do this. And we were just trusting God. We just didn't know what we are going to do, though. Within about a month, the government brought in a scheme for families. 40, week, 40 for families with kids. $40 per week per child, and we had four boys. 160 a week. And we believe that God was honouring his word to us. I know the government would have had a reason why they did it and all that sort of thing. We just said, God said, these guys need 160 a week, and that's what happened. So... People say to me, I can't afford to tithe. I say, I can't afford not to. But you've got to remember with tithing, we're under grace since Jesus died on the cross. Becoming a Christian does not involve tithing, but it's a promise from God. So why not take God as word and put him to the test? Money can be used for both good and evil. If you search through the scriptures, you'll see that God requires us to give to the poor, to support his ministry, to provide for our families. You'll also see that he required the rich young ruler, as we read in Matthew 25, to sell all he had and give to the poor. We're not required to lay up treasure on earth, but we're in heaven through investing in the lives of others and God's ministry on earth. There's a significant difference. Money should be viewed as a tool. It's not the end result. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is. We need to keep these things in perspective. When money becomes the focus of our lives, we can get things out of balance. And it goes both ways. You can be focused on gaining as much as you can, or you can be frozen in fear fear of losing what you've already got. We need to see that God has entrusted to every one of us a certain amount. No more than we can handle, just the right amount. 
That doesn't mean to say we just look after it like servant number three. We're required to bring to God a return on his investment. When we finally stand before our Heavenly Father, he's not going to get out a spreadsheet and see how much we've got in the bank. He will look at what we did with what we were given. Did we hang on to every cent we were given, or were we guided by his spirit to sow into his kingdom? In conclusion, I'm always amazed in how many places in the scripture God talks about us doing the right thing in our daily lives. We have been entrusted with the fullness of God's kingdom, each one of us in a different measure according to our ability. We're charged with, the Bible talks about not using a false balance. In today's language, it's like if, you, if you've been undercharged, someone's made a mistake and undercharged you, do something about it. Put your hand up and say, excuse me, you've just, I don't think you've put this much on, on my bill sort of thing. Don't overcharge. We're, we've probably all been guilty of it at some stage. Yeah, so I think we're just required as Christians to do the right thing. The Bible says, let our yea be yea and our nay be nay. Be people that can be taken at our word. We don't renege on our promises. We don't back out of an arrangement. Help those who are in need. Look out for the widows and the sick. Whatever God, whatever talent God has entrusted with you, you with. Make sure you get him a return on, his, on it. Whether it's money, whether it's a lovely smile, whether you're a nurse or a doctor, whether you can sing or testify, whether you're a prayer intercessor or a preacher, invest in it to bring back fruit for our Heavenly Father. Don't hold it for yourself. May God bless you.